Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we are the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than Johnny Five at a Radio Shack going out of business sale. Nice, which they had Thanks. to have recently. Yeah, I know. That's where I got the mic I'm using, and it's a good one. <laughs> and I got it for cheap. And the reason I say that is because today's subject is going to be sort of going back to the nostalgia thing. We're going to be talking about technology and how it's changed throughout our lives. But before we do that, I just want to give a big thank you to the platforms that we're on, including Podbean and Stitcher, also the networks, Musings of a Geek and Tangent Bound Podcast Network for having us on their shows, on their network, excuse me. And of course, you can check us out on the Bearded Pods Network, including this podcast, Teddy and the Baseman, and the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast. Carissa, technology. Yes. You're more of a technology geek than I am, but in our generation, you can't really deny the impact that it has had probably, well, not probably, more than any other generation before us. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if you go back to grandparents, great grandparents, their big thing would be we got the electric light. We got right. the radio. We got right. television. We got And those were airplanes. huge. Don't get us wrong. Absolutely. But it's usually like a one big thing that happened. Yes. We got personal computers yes the internet yes video game technology of every sort yes mobile phones mobile phones and like we carry around with us even the crappiest phone that you pick up at the corner store a burner phone basically as long yeah. as it's a smartphone has more computing power than the apollo shuttle that went to the moon yeah like, so, we carry that with us, and we use it to look up pictures of cats and shit. Yeah, exactly. That is the, and it's an old joke, I'm not going to be saying anything new, but that is the, the funny thing about the internet is, that I think most people that create technological advancements are very optimistic, they're very hopeful, they create something with a grand idea, and 90% of the time it gets so underused and utilized for the most fluff bullshit out there that you got to think that some people who invented this technology are just sitting there going why why did this happen because yeah the internet has given us the capability of you know it helped with the whole crisis in egypt arab spring and the arab spring and you know twitter and all that that was the one of those times where you're like oh this is what it can be utilized for that's great now i'm gonna go back to sharing pictures of me holding a lightsaber <laughs> right exactly but what is your earliest memory of technology having an impact because that's kind of what this episode is going to be really the evolution in our lifetime that we have seen ourselves of what has changed and how it's affected us well like my dad was an engineer and both my parents are college educated and working like white collar sort of people right and we had a computer in the house not before i can remember but early, really early. We had like wow. an old crappy 8088 computer with a green screen, like kind of the counterpart to the amber glow monitor. 
Right. And we had that when I was little. And I had a couple friends who had a computer and there were like four computers in the school that I went to. And does that make me sound old? Like the the school that I had had four computers? No, I'll tell you what makes me sound old or feel old at least is I've gotten into the the Fine Brothers Entertainment React videos. I'm not normally a big React video guy because I don't quite understand why people want to watch people reacting. But I like the Fine Brothers ones because they make it generational. You know, they've got the teens react and then the kids react and the elders react and they always ask them questions afterward. And there's a lot of production value in the show. And they took some kids and showed them like an 85 model computer, Mm -hmm. like quote unquote desktop, which they weren't even called back then. They were just called computers. (laughs) And these kids were so mystified and basically mocked everything about it. And these were young kids. And you just kind of go, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we all remember the first time we got a computer and how excited we were and how amazed we were at this thing in our houses. To be totally honest, Evan, like when we got our first computer, I wasn't excited or amazed. I was young enough because I didn't know that it was so awesome. It was like... Are we talking like single digit age? Yes. Oh, wow. I'm really, really little. (laughs) Like, again, not quite before I can remember, but... Right around the time the memory starts. Very young when we got our first computer. And it was a crappy, I mean, it was great for the time. Yeah. Lots of people did not have PCs and we got one and that was great. But I didn't recognize at the time that this was actually kind of a big deal. I only know that now in hindsight. I remember it because I spent a lot of time on it. But Just for anyone listening to this show that doesn't have that memory, what did you do on that computer? Uh, I played video games. Okay, that's... So we're we're all we're both sort of old school gamers at heart because that's all I gave a shit about when we finally got our computer. And I wasn't as young as you, but I was probably I wasn't a teenager yet. And we did end up getting a computer. And the only game I remember playing was this sort of ripoff of Space Invaders, except it was a clown on a unicycle who was catching balloons on his hat. And I can't remember the name of the game. I just remember that we were enthralled and amazed at this thing, that we could do this in our home. And I don't remember the graphic quality. I'm sure if I went back now, it would be Terrible. You know, Atari level. Like, beep, boop, beep, yep. boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. What did you play on yours? Do you remember? Oh, I absolutely do remember. We had, so this was old school computers before there was the graphical user interface that you're talking about. Right. Everything was command prompt. It was all DOS based. Right. So you typed everything. And that was the other thing that really blew these kids' minds when they were when no on mouse. this React video was that, well, not just the mouse. They, I think they're all kind of used to that. But the command prompts, the idea that in order to get it to do anything, you had to type in these codes, yep. that that was an interface. That was the way you talked to your computer. The and special secret you. language that you had to use. Looking back now, we loved it because it was so new and, ooh, look at what I'm doing. But it was frustrating. Because you had to get everything exactly right. If you did get a game, you had this novel, basically, with all the different command prompts and everything you had to do just to start the fucking thing. I remember mine being pretty easy because they were loaded on the hard drive, so I didn't even have to put in the five and a quarter inch floppy disk. Right. Yeah, these were like Dig Dug and Load Runner. And they were. I didn't have anything that cool on my computer. They were all basic A games. So basic A was a a coding language, a programming language. Mm -hmm. And that was the language that all the games and I think most of the stuff on my computer that I ever used Mm -hmm. was in. So you had to access them through the command prompt on the C drive, which, of course, the only drive at the time. You didn't have more than one drive. And then 
the extension for the basic a game that it was and you had to know which directory all of it was in so you had to type out the whole thing so like Ugh. now if you go into windows explorer on your computer and you want to find a file you just click on whichever folder it's in right. and then the folder in that folder and the subfolder in that folder and then you find the file see really the thing with too about today's computers is your today's pc the keyboard isn't nearly as necessary. Like I was thinking about this the other night is that depending on what you're doing, you could do everything you needed to do on your PC, including get online, play games, whatever, with just a mouse. I'm not saying the keyboard is not essential, but with all this one-click technology, there's plenty of games that you don't need a keyboard for. As long as you have the file uploaded, you can just click, 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 click. You're done. You're playing. And you never even touched your keyboard. But back then... You couldn't do anything without it. Well, yeah, you didn't have a mouse initially. Right. I mean, there were no pointers. It's just just command prompt. It's all text. Sometimes it would be like ASCII characters mm -hmm. to depict your pictures or whatever. But all the input was text. And not even as advanced as, you know, the paperclip guy that you used to get with Word at one Fuck point. Fuck Clippy. <laughs> so that was the first technology I had that wasn't like a cassette player or whatever that was technology that didn't exist, you know, 30 years ago, but right. had been around before I was born. Right. And these things were big and clunky. And, you know, the monitors actually weren't that big, which is the biggest one of the biggest changes, you know, just aesthetically speaking, is that, you know, people think of back in the 70s and stuff that, you know, you'd have a, a computer that filled a room that d didn't do half of what the home PCs now do. I think people think a lot of times of how everything's gotten smaller and more compact, except for the monitors. Well, yeah, screen size, they were tiny, like 14 to maybe 17 yeah. inches, like 17 inches was a huge CRT. Yes. But the actual monitor themselves, they weighed 80 pounds. Yes. And they were gigantic. Like monitors now, I've got two 24-inch LEDs on my desk. Like I do a dual monitor setup and they're both 24s and they're obviously flat screen. And they're tiny, even though they are individually each nearly twice as big as the screen space of my CRT monitor. They take up both of them half the total space right in the area of my desk as one yeah. crt monitor would and we, we all remember like the green too everything was green yeah green or amber like if you had a pc like a dos based that would eventually become windows pc it was usually green if you had an apple IIe or basically any apple product early it was amber See, so, you're so much more of a computer geek than I am. I'm like, yeah, we had machines and they did things and well, like, were green. My junior high, when I was in seventh grade, got a, an actual computer lab with 20 Apple IIEs. Oh. Yeah. So we actually had like computer classes, not just keyboarding and typing, which every school has had yeah, for whatever. We had whatever, none of years. those things at my school. <laughs> Did you not have like a typing class? No. Typewriters and people who taught you how to use a keyboard? Oh, God, no. Really? We well, were. All of our schools had keyboarding. The like, keyboarding was a class. In my high school, if football players had to do that, then everyone else would. But they didn't. So we didn't either. I see. So yeah, we our junior high got a, a computer lab with 20 or so Apple IIEs. And so I got to take computer class early. But like you said, I I was a nerd early. I had a com sure. I had had a computer for probably five years at that point, maybe give or take. <laughs> Just walking in the class on the first day, and they're showing you how to turn it on. You're like, ugh, amateurs. Yeah, I got this shit. Five minutes in, you've already 
decoded the CIA's latest message against the Russians or something. And nobody took the computer class that wasn't already kind of a nerd. Right. Well, yeah, one of the reasons I think I've always considered myself more of a geek than a nerd is I wasn't drawn to that sort of thing. In fact, I can remember standing outside one time in high school waiting for my ride and seeing one of the kids that would definitely qualify as a nerd and not in an insulting way. He was probably proud of it, but he was definitely the definition of it. He was you know, socially awkward, withdrawn, only cared about anything that had to do with the maths and the sciences. And he had one of those graph calculators, those huge graph calculators. And yep. I never seen one before. So I thought, being the person that I was, it was some sort of gaming system because he was into it. And I remember walking over and going, hey, man, can I can I can I play a game on that? And he goes, it's not a game. It's a calculator. And I was like, whoa. But he was so like into whatever he was doing. I went, well, then what are you doing on it? Are you can it play games? Are you playing a game on it? He goes, oh. I'm not playing a game. I'm running a diagnostic. (laughs) And that was when I was like, oh, there is a difference between certain people and me. Well, I mean, that guy was just being a douchey nerd because you can (laughs) totally program a TI for games. Like, you've been able to do that on a graphing calculator for a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he was being douchey about it just means he was a (laughs) freaking douche. But TI calculators used to run, I think, basic A as well. Like my home PC ran basic A programming and at least early TI graphing calculators ran basic A programming. So theoretically, you could totally code a game. Well, and that seems to be, to me, in our generation anyway, to be the big goal of all technology is to eventually become portable somehow. That's like everything, like you just said, your mobile phone can now do so much more than your original computers could do. And they wanted to get that kind of technology into calculators and video game systems. And it's all about making the, and, and now tablets and everything, it's all about making things smaller and things you're able to take with you. Well, that had been true. The miniaturization of technology had been a trend for a very long time. And then we sure. got down to like the tiny little smartphones, the early tiny smartphones. Mm-hmm. And now we're going back up. There is a reversal. Yeah. And I think that mainly has to do with with touchscreens becoming such a thing because my first cell phone well and you know what we can we can get to cell phones we can talk about those later but obviously for us computers were the first big thing home computers yeah were the first big thing because like i said i remember the one i had and uh we eventually upgraded my stepdad got a newer one probably in the late 80s early 90s and had it in his bedroom well in my mom's bedroom and again, I didn't give two shits about anything that computer did other than the video games I could play on it. This was pre-internet. Yes. So I didn't know about, you know, getting online and talking to people. I just thought I don't really have a current video game system. At the time, I think I had an original Nintendo, which is definitely something we can get into later, too. But I remember one game in particular that I became absolutely enthralled and addicted by. It's just that we are such an entertainment driven culture that you ignore all the great things that technology can do in favor of, I just want an hour of mindless fun. And there was a game that was called Siege, and it was the first time I ever played like a tower defense game. Oh, 
I think I remember this game. Oh, I loved that game. It was very blocky, and it was just, you know, you had a castle, and then these little these little ogres would come in and attack your castle, and they were just basically little green dots with, you know, kind of bodies underneath them, and you had to set up your archers and all this other stuff, and it was a very square, very small castle. It was one of the early, early tower defense games, but I loved it. I played it all the time. And so, you know, that, again, is another memory I have of using the computer for nothing constructive. Just, I would like to play this game for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, and I did. I used mine early before the internet. And this this was so early, we had one of those dot matrix printers with the green and white. Yes. Like, whatever, inch lines and the mm-hmm. holes on the side that would yes. go on the rollers that you actually had to physically place on the rollers so that they would yes. come out and the perforated pages that you had to tear off. We didn't have those, but it's it's a flashback to that era you saw yeah. on TV and stuff. So we had one of those and eventually the dot matrix printer paper went away from the green and white stripes and went to straight white. So I would use my computer for things like basic A games like Dig Dug and Load Runner and right. the word processor. Remind me what Load Runner was. I, everybody remembers Dig Dug. Okay. Load Runner was an Atari game, I think. I could look it up, but I'm too lazy. Yeah. And... I'm trying to think of how best to explain it. Okay, so you know how like Castlevania or like Donkey Kong. Yes. So your little guy who was, I mean, we're talking like fucking four bit. <laughs> yeah. Not even eight bit. It was just black and white. And it was your little square guy. And this was before we knew what a bit was or that it made any difference. Because like the big bit wars came later in video games when everyone was trying to impress you with how many bits they had. Oh, I mean, that wasn't a thing. You just had whatever was available at the time. That was the computing power that there was. So the load runner, dude, you're running on the ground and there are little dots of villains coming after you. You can jump and kind of like Dig Dug, carve out the space next to you and jump down. So you would like carve out a little space and then jump down and run and try not to get hit by the villain blocks that were chasing you. Yeah, okay. You know, go up the ladder to the next level and you could open up the hole in front of you so that the villain would fall into it and they could climb out. But if you timed it right, the hole would fill in over them and they would die. And then you could run over it. I played that game for hours and I tried to go back and play like an old that version of the game on a new computer. Oh, my God. No. Yeah, we just can't. We can't go back to certain things like we've talked about it before on our video game shows early in the podcast that there are some games like Super Mario 3 that will just always be great and fun and you can always go back to. That's really kind of a rarity, especially in the early days of computer video games. I don't even mean because like the graphics don't hold up. There are no graphics. It's just Aspen characters. There's no graphic to it at all. And the reason that it won't work now is that the processing speed on new computers is so fast yeah. that the whole level effectively just ends. Like everything starts and then all the villains are on you. You can't right. respond fast enough to make that work. So you can run ROMs and stuff that allow that processing speed to slow down. And as computers were advancing, like we went from an 8088, which was an early PC from Intel. That was the processor in the computer. It went from 8088, 286, 386, 486, and then onto like Pentium processing. Sure. So we had the 8088, and then we went from the 8088 to the 386, I think. I know we skipped one in there somewhere before moving on to the Pentium. But as you advanced through those levels, there was a time, a very brief time, when there was a speed turndown. So you could underclock your computer and it was like a switch on the machine. 
so that you could run older games on newer machines and it would force the processor speed down. Interesting. I never knew that. And you can, if you know how to do that on modern computers, you can adjust the processing speed of your computer manually if you need to. But there's largely there's absolutely no call to do that for most people. Right. And games are pretty much nothing is made with the intention of needing that change in processing speed. Right. Nobody's sitting there making a game right now going... How can we reverse all the advancements that we've made in the past 20 years? <laughs> like, no one's saying that. Exactly. It's all about what can be faster, where the graphics can be better. Although we've talked about how powerful mobile phones are now, what's interesting to me about the gaming culture on mobile phones is that simplicity is the art form in mobile phone gaming. The people that you talk to that love their mobile phone games almost always love the ones that you could see being sort of an old computer game, just a fancier version of it. Yeah, you're talking like Candy Crush. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Words with friends. Yeah, absolutely. Scrabble. The stuff that you can do when you're on the toilet. Yes. (laughs) Battle chess. Battle chess was another one that I do remember playing. I've never been good at chess, but I loved battle chess. And I think it was on the computer. I know it was on Nintendo at one point, but that's another game that, you know, it's so simple. And I think the biggest difference now is mobile phones actually allow you to play these simple games with anyone anywhere. Yeah. So that's the big draw is that you're actually playing with people, but the games are simple to understand and the colors are pretty. Yeah. And that's what people like if they're just needing to kill 30 minutes on a commute, you know. And and the thing is, like, the advancements in technology seem to happen. I don't even know if I would say annually, but you would know better than I did because I didn't pay that close of attention to it. But there seemed at some point to be this ramp up in discovery and manufacture that you can't keep up with the changes in technology now. Just last year, I needed to get a home PC. You actually recommended a really good one for me, which I got and have been completely 100% satisfied with it. Good. But I know that in another year or two, it's going to seem very old school compared to what modern computers at that time are even going to well, be able to do. And it seems to go so fast. I personally can't keep up with all the changes. I'm going to be honest with you. The computer that you have is basically obsolete at this point. Well, there you go. And you just got it. Like, that's not a slam. Right. And it's not because I didn't give you the proper recommendations. It's just, you know, you have a budget and you have needs for what your computer needs to do for you. And because right. your needs only go to whatever this level is, if you only need X amount of computing power right. and you have Y amount of money, here's the best computer for that. And three months after you buy whatever that computer is, no matter what your needs are, your computer's obsolete. It's not that it won't work. It will absolutely work perfectly for two years as long as it doesn't break. Right. But it won't be up to date. It will be obsolete. And our whole house builds computers for ourselves. We buy them piecemeal individually one at a time and we put them together on a table and we hook up all the wires and then we put a case on it and we put it next to our desk and we do that and we buy whatever the most cutting edge that we can afford at any given time is and as we need to upgrade we upgrade piece by piece so our computers are always going to be slightly obsolete because we aren't buying new hardware every three months right but they are going to be able to be as updated as possible in any given segment of it as we upgrade, like if we need new or better RAM, or if we need a new CPU or a hard drive or video or graphics cards are actually the the biggest thing that we update because we do play PC games. Sure. And PC gaming video requirements continue to advance. 
So our graphics card requirements continue to get more and more greedy. And so that's basically what we'll upgrade because we'll buy stuff that can be upgraded like the motherboard and the RAM, but we'll buy the best that like bleeding edge best that we can get. Right. And that actually keeps from being obsolete because all the pieces that go on top of it are the things that get outpaced. Right. More quickly. Well, well now, so that's that. I guess we can go into the next phase of it then. So we both remember the big effect that our first home computers had. Do you remember the next big thing and technology that was sort of, I mean, I, I don't want to be melodramatic and say life changing, but they are. I mean, you can't deny that technology has changed people's lives. And this is, and we're not talking about the big technology. We're not talking about the people that are inventing things that cure cancer. As fine as those things are, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, the things that directly impact us. Right. Regardless how sweeping and broad and important having networked connectivity is worldwide. Oh, yeah. It really mostly just concerns us that we can get on the Internet and do stuff and look at pictures of cats. Exactly. Or porn. Right. Oh, the advancements in porn. That's a whole other episode right there. Well, I mean, porn drives technological advancement more than almost anything else, if not absolutely more than anything else. I think that's pretty confirmed, although people don't want to admit it. Like, everyone talks about why Beta lost the cassette battles, and I don't hear a ton of people going, it's because the porn industry chose VHS. Is that true? Yeah. Then It's confirmed. I, I mean, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, definitely there were quality differences, but I think at the time, the big, the straw that broke the camel's back as to why Betamax lost those wars was porn. They decided to go the VHS route and Beta just couldn't survive at that point because sure. of course you go to the, the rental store and you rent videos and stuff and that's all great and a big part of it, but people were renting porn on VHS. And I guess that's yeah. the next thing we can talk about is... Separate from computers, but it is now eventually merged into home PCs, is just how we get our entertainment. Our family actually had a beta, Mine did too. a Betamax player for way longer than we should have. My parents kept that thing around well after VHS had dominated the market. And this is the other thing. Like, if you don't know what we're talking about, and the sad thing is there are some people listening to this that might not, is that, you know, one of the biggest changes in our lives was being able to watch movies at home. Yeah. And that was amazing. And apart apart from cable TV, because cable TV started and you were just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And there was only like four channels. But when you could actually go to the store and pick out a movie and bring it home and watch it. Now, no one was buying them at this point because they were just too fucking expensive. But someone came up with the brilliant idea of rentals. And it, when it first started, there was the beta and the VHS. And the VHSs were typically bigger tapes. And the quality, sound and visual quality was slightly better than beta. We had a beta. And what my stepdad would do is borrow his friend's VHS VCR, rent a VHS tape, and record it onto a oh, blank beta. beta tape. Yeah. So we had a ton of VHS ported movies to beta and i remember that's how i saw the first you know michael keaton batman movie or who framed roger rabbit we had them all in these blank beta tapes and i didn't really care that the quality wasn't fantastic because i didn't really know any different but eventually it did become like vhs wins out hands down like it was if it was a boxing match it would have been the most brutal thing you've ever seen and the ref should have stopped it way before he did well it was pretty pitiful beta technically was the superior visual format in terms of viewing experience well and but you got to think like my experience too was watching 
recorded VHS onto beta. So I always saw the quality was not that great, but that's because I was watching secondhand stuff. Yeah, and that's not a really good judge of it. Like beta no. itself was was objectively superior in terms of viewing quality. However, <laughs> It couldn't advance as quickly as VHS technology did. VHS could play longer, and though it wasn't quite as visually clear, it didn't lose enough to make up for the fact that it could record for whatever they had a... It started at 60 minutes. That was the initial length of a tape. Regardless, Mm -hmm. when it was VHS and beta, they were both 60 minutes. VHS was able to expand to two hours, and Mm -hmm. beta couldn't keep up with that. Eventually, VHS, when they got taken over by RCA... Mm -hmm. RCA? I think you're right. If if not, someone will correct you. Yeah, I'm sure. When they got taken over by RCA, they moved up to four-hour play length, and... Beta simply couldn't have that much playtime. I mean, the hour was sufficient when that was all you needed, just like right. 8 bits was sufficient when that was all there was. Right. But when 16 bits comes out, 8 bits is not enough. And one well, hour and I feel like there's a mentality, too, with a lot of people want quantity over quality. If the betas were better sound, better visual, whatever, people weren't content to wait until they could figure out how to get more space on a beta. They just instantly saw, well, these VHSs, you can get a whole movie on there and they're not quite as good, you know, with the visuals and the sound and everything. But I don't care. I want a whole thing. I want more. That's exactly what happened. And yeah, we didn't get to VHS until way late, way late. Yeah. Like betas had disappeared from video rental stores. You couldn't buy them anywhere. Right. It had become a specialty item. So you basically, you didn't have a choice. I mean, that's not even basically. It's just the truth. We didn't have a choice. Yeah, literally. If you wanted to have movies at home, you had to get a VHS. Beta died and you couldn't find them. And if you could find them, it was in some sort of specialty shop or like right. mail order catalog. Right. And at that point, it was so expensive, and now it's just a collector's item. That's the other thing about the advancements in technology that is so funny, is that you look at all the stuff that first came out when we were aware of it. And, and I'm talking like not only VCRs and home computers, but video cameras. When you could first get your own video camera to record things at home, it was a huge deal. Yeah. Therefore, they were incredibly expensive. Yeah. Walkmans were uh, that was a big life changing thing for me was a portable music system that only you could hear. Technically, only you could hear. I got complaints all the time about turn your fucking Walkman down. Yeah, because you hear bleeding out of your earphones. Yeah, yeah. You know, the ones that wrapped around your entire head and had the weird felt stings that just went over your ears before anyone thought that it would be better, possibly more dangerous, to actually plug something into your ear hole. But, yeah, they were so... A Walkman, when you would first get it, was like 100 bucks. Yeah, my first was 140 I think. Yeah, and now you look at it, and it's just this flimsy piece of plastic. Oh, they're pieces of shit. They're terrible. That, you know, and I held on to cassettes for a long time because when cds first came out i was like you gotta be too fucking careful with them i am not careful with my things because i want to be able to just like take my tape out of the cassette player in my car and just toss it in the floor and find another one or whatever and you couldn't do that with cds so i hold held on to my cassettes for way longer than i should have and the first time i got a walkman was such a huge deal but when you look back at them they really weren't worth Anything. I mean, they were asking $100 for these things because it was new technology. Yes. And now it's like, 
they're probably worth 50 cents. Like the actual materials that went into creating a Walkman. And you go to like one of those specialty stores or there's a great video game store up the road from me, the Video Game Cavern, where you can get like they sell old systems at old games right. and things like that. You can walk in and buy a GameCube for 30 bucks. You can buy a Nintendo 64 for 30 bucks. I don't think there's any other market that something that comes out that is so life changing and game changing and then the next thing comes out so quickly and makes you forget about the the first thing. The first thing becomes borderline worthless. But yeah, the speed of our technology advancement makes anything that becomes obsolete really obsolete. Yeah. Like unusably obsolete. I mean, there are exceptions to that rule, but only because they're collector's item for whatever reason. Yeah. And the collector's market has been huge for certain things. Like there are old Nintendo video games you can get for a buck on Amazon, but then you look at others and they're worth a hundred and something bucks only because they're collector's items. Right. And you look at the video cameras and you look at the first cell phones that people had, you know, those fucking bricks that they would carry on their shoulders and think they were big shit, but they're basically a briefcase with a phone in it that got terrible reception and you couldn't really call many people because almost no one else had one. Right. And it was an it was an in network thing. Like you couldn't call a home phone from a cell right. phone. You had to call. Did they even call them cell phones initially? It was a car no, phone, no, no. and then they had what was basically you just described it the the briefcase with a phone attached. It was almost like those old military dispatch phones. Oh yeah, like that the one dude would have carried on his back. They had the big plastic antenna that yes. you couldn't even put like shove down into the phone. It was just there. Yeah, you had to deal with it. I watched an old episode of Saved by the Bell where when oh boy. What was the main character's name? Zach? Yeah, yeah. He had a, an old school cell phone. And of course, you know, rich high school kid or whatever. He was supposed to be so cool. And he had this huge, yes. huge phone, like ungodly large. It was like the size of a textbook. And he's yeah. just like hefting it up to his face. It's just <laughs> hilarious. Uh, we've gone way ahead in the future from our conversation, though, because we were talking about it, like our old... 8-bit eighty eighty eight games in the Apple IIe's. Yeah. And that was pre-networked connectivity. Mm -hmm. And then this was the first revolutionary technology that I experienced was Internet. the Hayes smart modem. Oh, okay. And this like 2400 baud physically pick up a phone and place it on the modem and dial. I never had one of these. I don't even think I remember these. Oh, wow. Like you would. This is how you logged on to the in internet in its infancy yeah okay so you would pick up your telephone your mm -hmm. heavy plastic telephone yes and you would place it on top of the smart modem like it was listening to the phone right and then you would dial and it would literally listen to you dial yes and then that dialer would go through the modem to whatever number you were directly connecting to and it was a a number to number transaction so it wasn't like I connected to the web. Right. There was no web. Right. First of all, pre-World Wide Web, you would call a specific number that had a server set up to accept digital communication. Kind of like a fax machine, except for your computer. I think I vaguely recall seeing this in a movie or something. Like, I had no idea what they were doing. Because when we got our dial-up, it was the traditional dial-up that everyone else had, where you didn't have to put your phone on it physically. But I was just explaining this to my daughter the other day, because that's another thing that will make you feel old, is having a child where you say the words dial-up and they have no, no idea, idea what you're talking about. Not even just in re reference to internet, but it phones. <laughs> What's dialing? You know, yeah. it's, 
it's so weird. But when I had to explain to her just a week ago that when I was young, we logged on to the Internet and had to wait a few minutes. And you also couldn't make a call while you were on the Internet. Right. Unless you happen to have two telephone lines. Which no one had at the time. Right. We got ours eventually. But Well, your parents really sound like they were on the cutting edge of all this shit. Yeah. My, my dad, especially, I think, looking back, we never had any in-depth conversations about it when I was nine or whatever. But looking back, I think that my dad, it was important to him that he, and he was an engineer, so it was necessary in a way, but that he keep up with technology as it advanced and that I was able to do the same so that I was not left behind and I was prepared for whatever was coming. Right. We had our Hey Smart modem that you pick up the phone and put it on top and then dial. It was, I don't even think it was 2400 baud to begin with, to be honest with you. And that doesn't make sense to anybody who didn't have a baud modem. Right. And I'm not knowledgeable enough about it to be able to explain what I mean. So if you don't know, you'll have to Google it because yeah whatever but if you do know you know what i'm talking about and then it would have it had a speaker i'm not going to plead ignorance i don't it had a speaker of sorts and so you would dial in and then you would get that init string which is that noise that everybody that even yes. young people today know they know right. that noise even if they it doesn't resonate because their them. parents have told them about it probably or they've seen it in a movie or whatever yeah and it would play that init string as that and fax machines still do that that's true. Like physical fax machines if you're not faxing from your computer directly. Right. And so it would play the init string as it connected computer to computer and they discussed whether or not you were going to be connected. And basically at first it was just your computer calling another computer mm-hmm. and you were able to access whatever that computer said you could access. I get this idea of a computer like and you hear another computer's voice going, yep, Andy, <laughs> going, Sarah, get me Mount Pilot. You know? Yeah. Yes. And you got this impression of this uh, of this one computer doing the operator thing where they're just unplugging the one line and plugging it into the other. And that's not a bad way to visualize it, honestly. And so once that kind of came out and people that weren't just researchers at a college somewhere were using that everywhere, little tiny BBSs started popping up. Message boards. Do you Did you use a BBS at all? No. Okay. BBS stands for bulletin board system, if no one knows what I'm talking about. I, again, I don't. And they were basically just message boards. And you, you could use your modem to have your computer call this other computer that was just a central server with sure. a completely text-based message board. And it was a digital version of exactly what a message board is. So if you're walking, if say you live in a dorm, mm-hmm. in the foyer of the dorm, there's a huge cork board with a bunch of post-it notes and stickers and notepads and flyers printed out. This was a digital version of that. Mm-hmm. So you could log in. And early, it was you could just have the one for the most part. One person could call at a time. They would post a message and then disconnect. And at any time when someone wasn't connected, someone else could connect in and read whatever messages were posted and post their own message. Basically carrier pigeon. Yeah. Honestly, yes. But to us, I mean, I'm sure it blew your mind when you were able to do that oh for the first time. Oh, my God. And when we first got not just message boards, which were just one at a time, completely text-based, just messages, when we actually got to BBSs where occasionally two or five or ten people could be logged on at the same time because the computer that stood as the server, as the host, had that many phone lines connected to it enabling that access, that was our first kind of chat room. 
And if you think about it, too, like what we said earlier is that advancements in technology happened like one big thing in a generation at a time. And this wasn't that long ago, if you really think about it. No, 25 years. When you compare it to all the other advancements in technology from, you know, the first time that people had phones to when phones were in everybody's houses and then to televisions and things like that. Those are a handful of things happening over a pretty long stretch. Yeah. This is like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, like you said, these things were happening and you were amazed that you could go from I have to disconnect and let somebody else post a message to we can all be in this room together to what we have now, which means the advancements. That was when I feel like it really started. Like as soon as the Internet became something that you could get online with at home, regardless of how you did it, that is when I feel like everything just took off. And it just seemed like there was a new huge advancement every month. There was something new that pushed all the technology forward. Well, that's absolutely true. And it started, I think... I don't think that I'm actually being hyperbolic when I say it started with the smart modem because the message board system that was developed there and then mm. just the thought, what if several people could be on the message board at the same time? Yes. Well, how do we enable that? Well, that's easy. You just make more phone lines, whatever. And you have a computer. That was why that I got online when we finally got our internet, our dial-up internet. I did almost nothing other than go into chat rooms because I was so fascinated. And now it's not impressive to younger people at all because they're born with so much more potential. But back then it was like, so I can be in this sitting in my house and be talking to someone in another country or at the very least on the other side of this country. And we're all talking to each other at once. Again, the technology got manipulated and misused because it eventually became, chat rooms especially, a small group of people who went in that chat room every day and became very good friends, which is great. But then really would not allow anyone else to join into the conversation. Once you got like 10 people and everybody knew each other, then if you were a new person, they were not kind to you. Well, that's even... That's even a couple years past where I'm where I was talking about. Right. So like you'd have your message boards and then that advanced to BBSs and BBSs lent access to MUDs, multi-user dungeons. And MUDs are like early, super early text-based MMOs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I never played any, but that really just hit like a synapse that I remember now that it was like, yeah, there were, it's not like you were seeing graphics. It's not like you were experiencing, it was literally all text-based. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes there was like ASCII and ANSI art, but it's all still, I mean, it's character art. It's not actually graphical. Right. You connected to MUDs through a BBS that hosted any of those dungeons and they were actually doors, multi-user doors. Mm Mm-hmm. So you'd go to, you connect to a BBS and you would go through a door and play whatever game was there. Like right. Lord was a big one on BBSs. And MUDs for a very long time, pre and for a while post AOL's introduction to the market, were how you played online games. And they were wow. basically just text-based RPG hack and slash like North. You go north. Here is the room you're in. There is a <laughs> yeah. chicken. Kill chicken. You attack chicken. Chicken bites you. You hit chicken with sword. Chicken runs away. You kill chicken. 
on the ground is a chicken leg and feathers. Get chicken leg. Yeah, the, the imagination leg. of the of the people creating those games back then wasn't what it is today. A lot of poultry. Just every time you got on there, you were interacting with some form of bird. It was strange. Well, and I mean, there was... So there were a bunch of, like, D&D-style hack-and-slash role-play adventures, and there were uh, Trade Wars was huge on BBSs through doors. Trade Wars but that was, was it. That was, that was that the evolution of, yeah. of online MMO gaming. And then AOL hit. Yes. And AOL is laughable. It is a complete joke now. But at the time, that was really how you connected to any kind of web connectivity, to any yeah. graphical interfaces, to any online games. It was through AOL. That was the major way that you did that if you wanted to do anything that wasn't just BBSing or text-based MUDs. Yeah, and again, it's not like this. I don't want to sound like a bitter old man, but this is one of the things that, like, if you show a kid an Atari game now, they're going to be like, this is dumb, this is awful, blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah, but don't forget that without Atari, it doesn't matter what Atari is now. Without it, we would not have the video games we have now. We would not have the advancements. And AOL is the same way. It, it may be a, a relic now, but without it, we would not be where we are. Yeah, and... The AOL splash screen is still something that I remember. Like, I can see it in my mind when you would load it up and be able to access the net. Yeah, there weren't other options. It became the only way to access the Internet. It absolutely was for the longest time. If you wanted anything that wasn't BBSs and MUDs, that was how right. you did that. If you didn't have AOL, you didn't have access to any of that graphical user interface. You didn't have access to any of the other non-BBS related content on the net. You couldn't go get pictures of stuff. There was a time when the internet, as it was, was small enough that my parents had a yellow pages of yeah. every page on the net. Like, And it wasn't a very big book. No. And that was something you could do, was catalog the content of the internet. Try to contemplate doing that now. Right. It's It's... And it's one of those things, too, that, like, you know, you look back on it. And you, I do have certain regrets about not trying to take advantage of the technology earlier. It's like the whole podcast thing today. If I had known about this technology when it was in its infancy and started, you know, if I could have been if we could have been one of the first podcasts, we'd be doing so well right now <laughs> because it was that new thing that everyone went, oh, my God, you can do that. Right. And now it has become so, and that's what I mean too, by the advancements in the technology seeming to happen so fast that it has become every day. It's, it is like when we were born and didn't think phones were a big deal because we were just born into them and we couldn't imagine life without them. That is what the internet has become now, but we were there when it was like, oh my God, I'm talking to somebody in the next town. you know. And now it's like, I can play Super Mario Kart with somebody in France. Yeah. Well, like, and when I was dialing into, I had a local BBS because all of your BBSs for the most part were local. Right. Because you had to dial into them. You had to call them on the phone with your computer. So if you right. weren't calling a local BBS, you were calling, you were dialing long distance, which also is something that we don't really understand anymore. No. But I got in a lot of trouble for this because I lived in a place near Seattle and this was back when phone numbers were seven digits. The area code was only used if you were dialing long distance. So if you were in the area code, you just used the seven-digit number. Mm -hmm. However, I did live in, an, in a populous urban area, so we had what's called local long distance, mm -hmm. where you wouldn't use the area code, but you would dial one first. Right. Now, I was young enough 
that I didn't really get that local long distance was still long distance. Oh, no. And the phone charges were insane. Do you remember one of the bills? Hundreds of dollars. Oh, God. Because I didn't know. I didn't get that because my I had to use my Telnet client, Comet, to log in and dial into the BBS that I dialed into that all of my friends were on. And it would be one and the seven-digit number for Pacific Horizons. Yeah. Holla, Pacific Horizons, what's up? And <laughs> we would dial in and I had no concept that I was actually calling North Seattle from near right. Tacoma, which is very south of Seattle. And... That cost hundreds of dollars for my like two or three hours of connection a day. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like today, the only equivalent I can think of is when we talk about the games and everything. You know, my daughter has started getting into some PC games and they all, especially the mobile apps and the mobile games, they always get you with the, you can play this free. And then in order to really get what you need to be successful at the game, you have all these mini charges. And that is one thing I've had to hammer into my daughters. Like, don't do any of that. Yeah. Microtransactions are the You're devil. just going to have to pr- be patient with your game yep. because they're so smart and devious about Oh, this only costs like less than a buck. They always make it like 99 cents. Yep. It's it's that old advertising trick of technically it's less. We're making it sound like it's yep. less, even though it basically is the same as a dollar. And then before you know it, you have racked up possibly hundreds of dollars in these microtransactions. And that's the thing you have to watch out for now as a parent is you got to go, look, just be patient with your fucking game. And if you really, really need something, ask me and I'll think about it. But if you get carried away, you're going to rack up a bill that I'm not going to be able to pay for this stupid little game. (laughs) Yeah, my parents were so mad. Oh, I would be too. I don't blame them. I don't blame them either. And But I was also, you know, a teenager and I wanted to connect to Pacific Horizons. Holla. Yeah. And you don't understand, yeah. mom and dad. Basically. This is my life. Yeah. So that was a point of friction between me and my parents. Yeah, of course. I'm sad, actually. The death of the mud affects me personally because as games became more graphical and then now we have mmos and it's so easy and relatively cheap to just Mm -hmm. be online and be playing games wherever you want well i mean plenty of those games are free you mean old mud games or new games Uh, new games. oh yeah absolutely you don't have to spend as long as you can spend the money on the computer and the internet and the internet then you don't necessarily have to again they still catch you with the if you really want to advance in this game you got to at least buy a membership or something but for the most part you can play just about any online game absolutely free well like flash games are the best they're the best they're how you kill time at work they're i mean they're amazing i love flash games But even the more advanced, like, you know, I got into DC Online and you don't have to pay to play that game. You only have to pay if you want to be get really good at that game. Yeah, the free to play model is uh, that's a completely different conversation. But as games advanced, text based hack and slash RPG games became far less popular. I don't know. I'm sure you do. I don't know of any right now. Oh, there are tons that are still up, but their user base is dwindling. There are only a couple that still have a significant user base. And by significant, I mean like 30,000 people. Right. And and one of those is Batmud, which is one of the oldest MUDs in existence. It it started in 1990. Is it Batman? No. No. Damn. Uh, it's a, you know, medieval fantasy style okay. RPG, player versus player, player versus environment sort of 
game. And it's been around since 1990, and it still has ongoing like 30,000 subscriptions or something. Wow. It's one of the few that remains. Yeah. That's not true. There are hundreds of MUDs. Most of them have like three players. (laughs) (laughs) That affects me personally because for a very long time, I was an active player of a particular MUD. A moment in Mm -hmm. time. Moment in time, holla. And it was a MUD based on the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Right. And... It kind of evolved from just a straight hack and slash interact with the computer mud to like a a half and half hack and slash half role play mud and then just morphed completely into a role playing mud. So it was just an RPG, like an actual like a, a tabletop RPG, not a computer RPG. Right. And I spent many years there and was an immortal or sysadmin or sysop or however you are comfortable calling that. Someone with control and power and (laughs) a common player. And it was the best game I've ever played. Wow. And I played WoW for years, many years. I spent more time on Moment in Time than I ever spent in WoW. All told, it is definitely the game I have spent the most time playing. Nice. And it's dead like it has kind of it, it died and then came back to life and died and came back to life and died and came back to life as books were released sure and kind of got a revitalization after robert jordan passed away and sanderson took over to write the end of the series it got a resurgence and that was amazing and then it died again yeah and i don't think it's ever coming back again again and that's sad to me because it was so amazing. Well, that is the thing. I mean, that is the thing about these improvements and how quickly they happen and how advanced things go to. Nostalgia is still powerful enough to where some of this stuff will hang on and hang around. But for the most part, as soon as something gets upgraded or as soon as the new thing comes, everything having to do with the older generations is just gone. Yeah, that's absolutely because true. Because you just can't sustain it when no one is participating and you can't go to someone now and introduce something like that to them in this generation of sort of you know i need to see the new shiny thing you can't take that game to someone now and go look at this because it would be one of those things you have to get into to enjoy and most people probably wouldn't even give it five minutes because they're like this isn't nearly as cool as this one rpg i'm playing or the new you know xbox one game i've got i don't want to waste my time with this and they may really enjoy it, but most people aren't even going to give it a fair shot. That is exactly the problem that we had. Getting new players was impossible. Right. And especially because like, we're not just, it wasn't just a random, general, medieval fantasy RPG or whatever. It was a very specific niche within that. So right. you have to find people who are fans of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, who yes. also would like to be introduced to a text-based role-playing game who also have the creativity to write like actual write things like a writer and Mm -hmm. have character depth and stuff as opposed to just like hit chicken kill chicken eat chicken whatever and what is your obsession with killing this chicken i don't know they were just everywhere that's always eluded you (laughs) so that that's the the technology death that has bothered me personally the most well and the thing is like I, i think a lot of times we don't sort of keep a catalog of the technology deaths that have affected us the most until it's too late because we are impressed by the new things we are impressed by the next generation of whatevers you know i can't wait to have an oculus rift and if i ever get one i'm probably going to completely forget about all my consoles for a little while at least but then there's always that part of you that if you were there you kind of go 
but I don't want this to completely go away, you know? And so you try to save it a little bit. And that is the thing about the more advanced we get. And now we go on to other things like phones. Like, you know, there's a certain charm in something like the way we used to talk to people on a phone. You know, we had a rotary phone in my house. We did too. And again, on another React special, they showed kids a rotary phone. And the funniest thing that happened in this whole React thing is the guys asked them how you text on it. Oh my God. And because there are letters on the phone, they all tried to figure out how to text on it. Because I guess they just assumed that the letters would somehow send an audio message to someone. And then they had to break it to like 90% of them were like, I guess you just hit the number here and then blah, 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 blah. And the letter, because, you know, the rotary phones had the letters you could use. And they're just like, we didn't have text back then. And you watch these kids' brains sort of melt out of their ears trying to imagine what that world would have been like. Well, and of course, like early cell phones, that's exactly how you texted. Right. Yeah, I I resisted getting a cell phone for a long time because to me, it didn't make any sense. It's like, I don't want to be that readily available if someone really needs to talk to me, they can leave me a message on my answering machine <laughs> and I will get back to them. Uh, and that was after I moved out of my mom's house. We didn't have an answering machine for a long time at, at my mom's house. And when we did, one of the problems with that technology was there's almost nothing more depressing than coming home after being gone for hours or waiting for someone that you really want to talk to to call you, especially if you had a crush or something. And getting home and seeing that blinking zero on your answering machine. <laughs> There's almost nothing more soul crushing than that. You know, also, you know, the the invention of call waiting. Yeah. Was amazing. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, I don't have to miss another call ever for the rest of my life, which was bullshit. But that's what we all thought. Yeah. Then you when I got my first cell phone, it was uh I don't even remember what kind it was. It wasn't a flip phone or anything like that. It was just the cheapest. You know, it was after my daughter was born. So it's been within the past almost 12 years. And it was just this basic. I remember being fascinated by text when I first saw that. I was texting people just stupid shit like, hi, I'm texting you. <laughs> and, you know, people had already had it for a couple of years. They're like, yeah, great. But yeah, you had to hit the numbered pad. You had to send it to text set it up for text, and then hit the number. Like, if you wanted to say J, you had to hit that number twice to get to the J. Yep. It was an agonizingly slow process, but again, new and amazing, so we thought it was incredible. The first time I got my cell phone to play music, or the first time I set a ringtone, which at the time was just this thing called sticks or something, which was just... Like, sticks hitting each other. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> now I know who's going to call me before I answer the phone. And now it's because like, I hear sticks. If you have a ringtone that doesn't sound like a phone ringing, everyone hates you. Yes. Well, they got obnoxious very quickly. Yeah. Like your ringtone better be a fucking phone ringing. It doesn't have yes. to be the same phone that everyone else has phone ringing, right. but it better sound like a goddamn phone or right. I hate you. <laughs> like Right. Well, because everybody thought they were so clever. There were actual conversations going on with people like, well, my ringtone is set to this for this person and then that for that person. And at first it was kind of cute and funny. And then after a while, it got real old real quick. And you were just like, I get it. You think you're really clever because you got the Imperial March for your mother-in-law when she called. I don't care. You know, that was it. That was, you know, that was the amazing thing to me about a cell phone. And then eventually, again, and we've talked about this before, you're kind of on the cusp of technology. I always wait because I'm always that old, bitter man that's like, this is dumb. 
People don't need this. Our generation's getting lazy. And so I'll wait a couple of years after everyone has told me something's amazing and then go, fine, I can get it at a discount. And I'll get it and go, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll go to people, have you seen this thing? I don't need a home phone anymore. Yeah, I've had one for like 10 years. Yeah, it's I just, amazing. I refuse yeah, I to be that old person who's confused by technology. Yeah. I refuse to be that. But well, that I'm means gonna be. based on how fast technology moves, if I'm not keeping up, I'm going to be that. Right. And I won't. I refuse to be that person who's like, where is this? Try showing somebody that is from a generation, a different generation, a smartphone. They don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Well, like, I remember when the remote control, yeah. like the multiple remote control before it was a yes. universal remote. So you had a television and a VCR and a DVD player. Yes. Well, and instead of having 15 remotes, because somehow you always had more remotes than you had actual things that needed remotes. Yeah. And you had to put like, you had to make an input on the TV and then grab the VCR remote and put it to whatever play right. and then make it channel two and then take the other remote and turn the volume down and then right. go to your stereo remote because that's where your speakers were coming out of. Right. Yeah. And I got all that and I would watch like my grandparents not not get that. Right. And just be completely baffled. You bought the universal remote at a store. It had nothing to do with the things that you owned already. They didn't come with anything that you bought. They, your universal remote didn't come with your TV. You actually went to the store and bought one that was completely separate from all of your stuff and then had to program a code based on the book it came with into the remote so that you could then power all of your things yep. with one remote, which was amazing and now seems so ancient and so archaic because, I mean, I guess people still have remotes. I watch everything through my computer now, so I don't even know. Yeah, the television technology as it is has kind of left me behind because I haven't had a television. Well, that is the problem with television is that because of the Internet and because of all the advancements that we have made in all these other areas, phones included, actually, if we get back to that for just a second, because, you know, the first phone I got after my just basic cell phone was a BlackBerry. And that was the first time I got a phone that could get Internet. And again, far behind what anyone else had at the time. Mm -hmm. I thought it was amazing. And it was the very most basic Internet interactivity ever. But then I finally, like two or three years ago, probably three or four now, upgraded to what would be considered an honest-to-God smartphone. And my life completely changed because I'm like, fuck, I can download Netflix onto my uh -huh. phone and I don't have to pay for cable. I'd never leave the bathroom again. You don't have to. I know. You literally could stay in your house with as long as the internet's working. You could live on your couch, order a pizza, have the guy fucking bring it into the house, <laughs> have your money ready. So at some point you got to move your hand at least to your wallet no, dude, or purse. You ordered the pizza on your phone. You just paid for it. That's there. right. You pay for it with your card through your phone. We want to be Wally. We want to be that culture. We really do. And when I realized and I finally got a, a laptop first, that was my first big like home computer expense for myself. That was when I really realized I don't need cable TV as long as I'm patient and don't have to see the shows right now. Yep. I don't need cable. Yep. And that has been actually a really liberating thing. The only thing I use my TV for is video games because I don't need I've got stacks of movies, VHS and DVD. I can't remember the last time I actually took one off the shelf and watched it. I'm going to keep them. That's what Netflix is for. Yeah. I mean, the only thing with Netflix is it do, it is one of those things like the radio, which I despise and I don't despise Netflix, but it is limited in what you're able to watch. For now. For now, yes. But now you've even got things like Amazon Prime yep. or Shudder, which 
which I just discovered, yep. which is specifically for horror movies, period, that the only problem with those things is you do have to pay for the movie that you're going to watch. But I mean, and it would be more expensive than buying a DVD because DVDs are dirt cheap now because no one makes them anymore. But there is this whole world that has intersected with the internet community where some brilliant people went. This isn't just a way of communicating with other people. This isn't just a message board platform. We can do everything with it. Yes. We can make it so that anything you want, as long as the internet works, can come through your computer or your phone. Yes. So all these things have intersected now. And again, in a way become more portable, but also, you know, cause I can remember we're both, big video game geeks, the one thing I was on the cusp of with technology was my Game Boy. As soon as the Game Boy came out, I said, I'm going to get one. And I saved up all summer to get one. I got one and it blew my mind. It was amazing. And now you can do so much more than the Game Boy could do with your mobile phone. Oh, God, yeah. Because that wasn't that long ago. I'm 38. So it was probably 89, 90. 1989. Yeah, that sounds right. 1989. That wasn't that long ago. And it's completely obsolete. You know, if you have a Game Boy now, it's strictly for nostalgia and that some of the games on it are still pretty fucking good. But you can even play the old Game Boy games on the more advanced Game Boy systems. You don't need an original Game Boy unless you just are nostalgic. And you can do everything that any handhold handheld game system has ever tried to do. You can do on your mobile phone, except maybe for what the 3DS does. And that's even pushing it. You know, I have a PS Vita. I love my PS Vita. It does have like PlayStation three quality graphics right but i don't think it's we're that far removed from mobile phones being able to do that too if they're not doing it now they will be able to soon because every generation it has become about every new generation of phone it has become about advancements in that aspect of it you know we want it to do more we want its processing to be faster we want graphics on whatever game or whatever movie you're watching to be better it's not that far away it's just so amazing how all this has happened so quickly that once you get past like the initial things that we're talking about the computers and the games you were talking about and the the difference between a home phone and a cellular phone and the difference between going from VHS tapes to LaserDisc, which seemed awesome at the time. Oh, my but God. Was a massive failure. LaserDisc, it had its moment in the sun, and I think that it was a literal 15 minutes of fame. They oh, yeah. came out, everybody got one or ten, and then yeah. they just dis-a-fucking-peered. It seemed amazing at the time, but then once a DVD comes out or once something that... Because that was the other thing. They were so fucking big, and you had to like flip them in the middle of the movie... I mean, the sound quality and the visuals were amazing compared to VHSs. But then once you get to the point where you can do all that and more and you don't have to flip it and it's small and you just the size of a CD, you're just like, oh, well, fuck Laserdiscs. Our school got a Laserdisc player or five or whatever. And so we would watch stuff in our chemistry class, like science yeah. things, documentaries, whatnot. But we never bothered to get one for the house, and I'm glad because, seriously, 15 minutes after the whole thing came out, everybody's like, ah, fucking no. Yeah, and I think we're talking a literal 15 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I honestly think so. 15 minutes after the first person bought a uh, LaserDisc, 15 minutes later, somebody walked in and said, nope, it's obsolete. Yeah, oh, damn. no. I just spent like 500 bucks on this, and now it's worth $2. Yep. You know, and there were other things. You know, we talk about computers, and I just want to go back for a second because I forgot to mention this and I really want to. We had a mutual friend. He had to act in a video that came with an AT&T PC and he had to sort of mime. On the videotape, he mimed what you had to do 
to get the computer started. And there was someone doing a voiceover and he would open the because she was like, now you have your computer. Open the box. And he would be very enthusiastically opening the box. She said, take out your computer. He takes out the computer. Find a plug in the wall. And he finds a plug and he points to it. Oh, my God. Those videos are the funniest oh they're hilarious things now but i remember watching this and it was the most basic stuff you've ever seen and she's like you know find the plug he pulls up the plug and he points to the to the outlet in the wall now plug it in and he plugs it in and i remember going why did you have to do all this and he said he asked the director of the thing is like why why are we filming all this like who who doesn't know how to do these things and the director said that everything he was filming was based on actual customer service questions which still come into this very day i am sure that they do and he said the thing that threw people more than anything else was the mouse yeah people did not know what to do with that thing people thought it was a foot pedal he said people would call in and think and say you know your foot pedal doesn't reach the floor yep. or be holding it up in the air yes or like actually putting it on the monitor putting it on the monitor which sort of defeats the purpose i guess i don't know but it's so funny to watch people's reactions kids are extremely tech savvy yes kids that have born i've seen two-year-olds operate a mobile phone a smartphone better than anyone else in the house that they live yes and your mind is just ready to receive all that information but as it advances as everything gets faster and quote-unquote simpler and it all becomes it's all becoming centralized it all is stuff you can simply do through your computer or through your tablet or through your mobile phone it's like all these advancements in technology in our lifetime have all ended up being sort of centralized in your computer Mm -hmm. there's almost nothing you can't do online or in a computer which is frustrating about the advancements happening so quickly though because it is so crucial now like you can't imagine living in a time when you didn't have internet in your house i mean we can because we were there but a kid today is like imagine a time with no internet no mobile phone no video games really what did you do yeah there's still kids playing sports and there's still kids that play outside but when they've got a couple of hours to kill what are they doing they're on the computer games on the smartphone they're on their computer And so it has all revolved around the same thing. That's why it felt like when the internet started, it just, it was this dam that just opened, that just broke through. Yep. And everything else that has happened is a direct result of that. Yes. The internet is without question the most amazing thing that humans have come up with. Yeah. And they're still using it for kitten pictures and trolling and. Yeah. Cat pictures and porn. That's the problem. When you invent a technology that literally can bring the world together you just find out how petty and shitty people can be uh yeah i mean there's some positives out there there's some people doing some good stuff with it but you know whenever i see somebody like we talked about this on another episode but whenever i see somebody whose sole purpose in life is to simply comment and say shitty things to people all the time i'm just like we're doomed like we've got this brilliant thing and we're just we're just doomed. Yeah, but it's awesome and it lets me play video games and look up stuff on Wikipedia. So, whatever. And watch porn for free. That's true. It also lets me do that. So, basically what it all boils down to is that our lives are better because of free porn. Well, yeah, obviously. Yes. Because seriously, this is like we've gone from the days of having to find your friend's older brother's magazine. Right. Under his mattress. Yes. To 
hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, take my phone with me. Let's not forget that we've talked about it before, the static days with you got cable TV and no one's parents would get the Playboy channel, even though you know they all wanted it. Then you had to go through the static and every once in a while you see a nipple. And now it's great, but it's also terrifying because it is easy for a child or something to stumble across something. You know, all you got to do is if you don't have your parental control set and they type the wrong thing into Google, there's a dick in front of them. Yeah. So that's something, especially as a parent, that I'm always a little bit wary of. We have one computer in the house. She's never on it when I'm not around. I mean, if I go out to the store or something or to a rehearsal, yeah, she gets on it. But I always check the history when I come back. I don't think she even knows that she can delete her history. So you do have to be careful. With, with social media, definitely you have to be careful when you have a kid. But for the most part, it is this sort of wondrous world of interconnectivity. And we have just learned that people are douchebags through it. Yeah. Like one in a hundred thousand people is a decent person. Yeah. And you hope you run into them somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And luckily we all have. And that almost makes it worth it. That almost makes you stop hating humanity until you're online for another five minutes. And Wow. This podcast episode kind of took a dark turn. <laughs> But yeah, so that's just kind of a short list of all the things that I remember having an impact and you remember having an impact and it all has ended up in the same place, the internet. Yeah, which is for cat pictures and porn. Yep. So, Carissa, if anyone wants to tell us anything about what technology inspired them or they just want to simply comment or email us and comment about anything we talked about, maybe an idea for a future episode what they'd like to hear us talk about, what can they do? Well, they can find us on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10K or email us at Lucky 10,000, all spelled out, Lucky 10,000 at Gmail. And that's probably the best way. Oh, and I want to give a quick plug to myself in this episode, if you've made it this far. I'm now doing audiobooks. And I've got one that just went to Audible two weeks ago. And I've got probably three or four more that are going to be going to Audible pretty soon. But the first one, I really enjoyed doing it. It's called The First Door, The Adventures of Benjamin Cross by Rain Oxford. So check it out on Audible. Buy it because I desperately need the money and uh, enjoy it. I think it's a really fun short story. Comedic fantasy short story. Awesome. Oh, and I also want to give a shout out to Twill at Twill Distilled on Twitter. She's an up-and-coming nerdcore artist. Yay. She got in contact with us after last week's episode about nerdcore, and her new mix just dropped last or just a couple days ago, and you guys should check that out. Excellent. Yeah, we'll totally be a steward, too, if there's anything you want us to shout out to, if there's anything that we've talked about that you are a part of, any community that you're a part of, and you want to get some free press, we have no problem giving you a shout out. Yeah, and the best way to do that would be to give us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes, preferably Stitcher. When I've done it before, I have actually used other podcasts that do the whole, we'll read any review you put as long as it's five stars, we'll read anything you write, as a free shout out for podcasts that I do. And, you know, there's no harm in that. Sure. Because it's all about people helping people. We are big fans of the podcast community in general. So if we can help you while you're helping us, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it can be one great big circle jerk. Yes. Oh, now I got to go watch some porn. Yeah, well. Anyway, well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we will be back next week with a new episode and we're getting closer to Christmas. We're also getting closer to the Star Wars release. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, we will be talking about that at some point, some point very soon, because, God, it's the ninth. Yep. It's nine days away. Yep. Whew. Oh, oh my palpitation. <laughs> 
I'm getting the vapors. I'm getting the vapors. Apart from that, this has been a lot of fun. We will be talking about some more fun stuff. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Again, give us a five-star review if you would like. We'll read anything you have to say. And the best thing you can do, honestly, is share us with friends. If you like us and you have some like-minded friends that might like us, tell them to listen. Yeah, we're here for you. We, we, we do this for all of you. Not for us. Not so that more people will listen to the podcast and maybe we will become a successful podcast in numbers. But for you, we are sacrificing this for you. Right, So don't let us sacrifice in vain. (laughs) And until next time, I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardofpodsnetwork.com.